Welcome to the Fear Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. I'm joined by my two colleagues, John Easton. Good morning. Adam Belmar. The big issue today, shutdown, showdown. My theory, I think the president should just declare a national emergency and build the dang wall himself. Let the Democrats sue on this if they don't like it. John Easton, this approach, though, has many conservatives very nervous, including guys like Marco Rubio. How do you get out of this mess if you don't declare a national emergency? Well, he's not going to get anything close to what he wants unless he declares a national emergency and goes, or let's just say he does it you know, through executive orders and, and through the administration. I don't know if that is the declaring a national emergency. It sounds like the best option on the table for him right now to get this done. But I, I think that we've seen this now for i mean if if you have paid attention to this issue or most issues on capitol hill for the last i mean decades now this has been going on and on and on and the the thought that this would get done legislatively this year and now we're going into another presidential cycle so there's just no way and even in 2006 and 2013 when the senate passed on a bipartisan basis comprehensive immigration reform, it didn't get done. Uh, It is, to me, I feel like there are too many who are unwilling to challenge uh, their base on this, and they fear uh, reprisals for voting for something like a a comprehensive bill, because that means you have to compromise. That means you have to give in. You have to give the other side something, and there's too many that are unwilling to do that. So to back to your original question, I think that it is perfectly within his right to do this if, if there's nothing else happening. Barack Obama uh, circumvented Congress to get what he wanted on immigration reform. So it's entirely up to the president. So, Adam, um, earlier this week, the president, behind the Resolute desk in the Oval Office, put it all on the table, declared to the American people, we need to get this thing done. Um, he, Of course, the left did not like the speech. Uh, some on the right did like the speech. You have been in the Oval Office when presidents have given addresses. What did you think about the optics? Yeah, um, this is a very particular and special instance of communication from a president, John. And I felt like on the issue of optics and style, the president actually outperformed. He was moderate in terms of his tone. He wasn't yelling. He was sticking to a script that was hewing to his own language. It was written for him. It was written in words that he had practiced. He was knowledgeable about what he had to say. He was wearing a red tie, a white shirt, white collar, white cuffs with a DJT monogram on the on the cuff. He had a picture of his mother and his father behind him on the desk along with uh, a grouping of military challenge coins and the presidential flag and the American flag. These were the trappings and hallmarks of the Resolute Desk Address to the Nation. He looked directly into the camera. He did a good job. In fact, one of the things that was so interesting to me was that they waited until now to play this card, this direct to the American people from behind the Resolute Desk speech. But the thing that it brought forward was a president who delivered a cogent and uh, very specific case. Many people are saying that he didn't say anything new, but at least he really defined the problem and spoke about it in terms that he felt people could understand. I thought he did very well, John. Now, Adam, 
thinking about that and thinking about the response. The president, I thought, did fine. I, I didn't think he broke that much new ground, but it was nice to see him actually stay on script. The response, and responses are always terrible. I, I have been <laughs> they are traditional. I have been involved in many, many responses. I had to do this when I was working for the minority leader, Bob Michael. And we, we talked about, a lot about it when I worked for the majority whip. And when Denny Hassert was in charge, Denny Hassert was smart enough never to do a response. But this was not just terrible. It was hilariously terrible. And it became memes all over the Internet. You had Chuck and Nancy looking like um, American Gothic. Um, it was uh, John Easton. Um, the memes themselves spoke a million words. They did, and, and we have, have talked about this, of course, a, a lot, and, and I think that uh, I think they missed an opportunity. I think that they didn't have a lot of time. I think that's it was a little bit of uh, gamesmanship on, on the part of the White House, not to give them a lot of time, but they just decided, well, uh, it's got to be the, the, the leaders of the Democratic Party up there. Well, that's not their best face forward. They're not, not their best foot, best foot forward or best face forward. I think to get someone younger, maybe somebody really affected by this situation, um, you know, who's very well spoken, I think those oftentimes go a lot further. And Anna Belmar, if you are Saturday Night Live and you don't do the Chuck and Nancy show, <laughs> they can't not do it. They, they have to do they it because do it. it was the most spectacular part of the whole response. It is, and uh, I appreciate this idea that. Um, there are other faces and voices that might have been more effective in this response. But having said that, with the uh, first speaker to regain the speakership since Rayburn, it being a woman of great stature and a minority leader in the Senate in Schumer, who the president loves to tangle with, um, and mentioned in his presidential address that he'd be giving that uh, response, there was some sort of simpatico, these people at the same level speaking to one another. It was just unfortunate optics, and it was ill-considered, and uh, we're living in an age where everyone's got a computer and everyone's got a fun idea of what silliness they're seeing, and this was silly, and unfortunately, the substance of their remarks were largely undercut by the memes. So, uh, John Easton, Mitch McConnell will never, ever give a response ever. <laughs> he's too he's, smart for that, right? Because he's too smart he's for too that. He's too smart for that. And he is, seems to be playing this pretty smart. He seems to be focused mostly on keeping a fractious caucus, not necessarily fractious, but a nervous caucus together. He's having some success on that. What do you think Mitch McConnell's thinking? I mean, it just, I think, really goes to show you the value of this vast experience that this, that this man has of, of legislative poker. And, and it's, he's shown time and time again that how disciplined that he is. And in a situation like this, this is highly charged, highly emotional. To have somebody in there like that, I say the Democrats, um, they know that, that, that Republicans have their best guy in control. Because if it's somebody younger, somebody who's maybe a little bit more hot, you know, runs hot and cold, uh, you would expect a different response. You would def expect different tactics. And I think that the way Mitch McConnell is handling this, look, look at it. It's between the president and the new Democratic House to negotiate this. I think that, and if a good product comes along, I think Mitch McConnell has the tools, the skills, and the respect to bring his caucus along into a deal. That is highly valuable to this negotiation and situation, and Republicans are very lucky to have him in there. Uh, Adam, going back to 
a bigger, more comprehensive immigration immigration reform bill. Um, some people have been suggesting, and usually in a crisis like this, one of the one of the kind of conventional wisdom things that you do, if you have a small crisis and you can't solve it, you make it a bigger crisis, um, and or a bigger solution. Uh, we worked in the uh, mid two thousand tens on uh, immigration reform with this group called Cambio. Uh, back then, they came up with a um, they were working on a bunch of different things, but there was an immigration deal that had a bunch of border security, about $80 billion, lots and lots of money, but included a pathway to citizenship. Do you think, to John's earlier point, that there's any chance that the way to solve this this problem is to have a bigger solution? Well, I first of all, Easton's dead on accurate. Uh, the, the requirement here is compromise, but that comes with the comprehensive nature of a deal. You've got to put a lot more things together to find a balance. And I think at the heart of your question is, is there a space for that right now? And the answer is, I don't think so. I really don't believe that the president is willing uh, or interested in bringing in six or seven different comprehensive immigration issues, the sort of things that we saw bandied about so thoughtfully in the United States Senate in 2013, and start to bang on this. He's really hyper-focused right now on this one thing, and he's not going to let it get any larger. It's not a DACA for Wall, and it's not going to get bigger than that. That's my opinion on the matter at this point. John, do you agree with that no DACA for Wall uh, deal? I think we've tried that, and and the administration backed off of that. Yeah, so Stephen Miller's not going to go for that, although I think if you're going to ever do it, this is the time to do it. But I think you're right. I think that they're, they're going to go a different way. I mean, they way. had their chance. I don't know why they'd go back and say, well, this time we will. You know, one of the interesting things about this government shutdown, it's only 25% of the government that shut down. But even in that 25%, it's kind of when the, the ocean recedes and you see a bunch of seashells on, on, on the sand, There's the government spending has receded and you see all these little things that the government does that people didn't know about. For example, a craft beer maker is waiting for their licenses and they have a big barrel of craft beer that they can't sell. And, it's, and they could put them out of business because if you don't sell every barrel of craft beer that you've made, it's, a, it's an economic problem. Um, the FCC can't go forward with some mergers because they're they're not in, in business right now. Um, and so if you're a, a broadcast company trying to merge with another broadcast company or if you're a big you know, telecom, telecommunications company that can't merge, your, your, your mergers are on ice. Um, think what are other thoughts, uh, other examples of the government that is, you know, not functioning right now and making people really nervous. Uh, food inspectors. That is a problem. That's a huge problem. That That's a good one. I've, I've read that in the papers the last couple of days. It does not come anywhere near to the thing that comes top of my mind, which is the Department of Homeland Security, save essential personnel, is shut down. National security is not a joke. Should something happen right now, it would be clear to me, even as a Republican, that the President of the United States has abdicated his responsibility towards national security by keeping the important role of the men and women who protect us uh, at a lower level. I really believe that this is a political uh, hot potato that the President doesn't want to be kept holding and can't afford to go too much longer on. Well, for me, it's TSA. And well, TSA is part TSA, of it. And, I, and, I, and John Easton, I think about when we created TSA after 9-11, and there was a lot of concern that cause TSA previously had 
all the airport security had been done, yeah. paid for by the airlines, and that it was not a federal role. But now it is a federal role. The government pays for it, and these guys aren't getting paid. Is this an example of government that's too big, and we need to spend less money on government and have a lot of this stuff done by the private sector? No, I, I don't think that that um, really comes to my mind uh, in this situation. I think uh, to Adam's point, and, and TSA, it, it's that is part of national security, and it, and and this is just a really uh, this is really a, to to take the government and government services hostage. Uh, oh, that to, was that was TSA right there, by the way. They were. They, you know, like, I, actually, I think they're appreciating down. what we were saying. <laughs> but I just think that this, as a hostage in a uh, in a political negotiation, is is really it's just bad. I mean, it, it's just really government at, at its at its worst, governing and legislating at its worst. In my own view um, that there is way too much government. There has been way too much government. And this is a perfect example. Most of these functions should be done by the private sector. That we, we may be coordinated by the private sector. Uh, we have way too much government, and I, I think that if a lot of people are like, "What the heck, man? Why are we spending money on this?" But that's just my own theory. Um, predictions: uh, When does this get resolved, uh, Adam Belmar? Um, I believe at this point it will be concluded on or before the 29th of January, the date set for the president to address the joint session of Congress and the State of the Union. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about how the State of the Union would go with us still in a shutdown, and it would be um, the height of political grandstanding on on both sides, and it would be, um, as all of us have dealt with the State of the Unions, and and we watch them and are fascinated by them, it would be kind of a joke, I think, uh, if this were to go into it because of of the posturing and and you can imagine the democrats receiving the president um you think that any any mode of respect is all is gone uh any decorum in that chamber is likely gone i mean this is something that we need to uphold as a as a sacred ritual in our society in our culture and i would hate to see this um undermine that so completely. So my hope is that Adam is dead right. This is done by then, uh, because I just can't see the president going in front of Congress and talking about the State of the Union as strong with this um, unresolved. So there is precedent. Uh, Bill Clinton did address the Congress in very unfortunate circumstances when the government was closed. Uh, we had a long government shutdown with the State of the Union. Um, there also, I think that's the case. And I remember the most awkward State of the Union I've ever seen is when right after we impeached Clinton for having sex with Monica Lewinsky, Denny Hester was right behind him, and they were going through impeachment in the Senate. So there is awkward times. Uh, I think they get this resolved by next Friday, um, because I think to all of your points, I think the president has proven that he wants his wall, and he's trying to get it, and now he has a perfect scapegoat and why he's not going to get it, and that's Nancy Pelosi. Um, thank you so much for being with us today in the Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB. EFB means excellent for business. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs>